1909, there was this uh, doctor named John Harvey Greidner, let me get that right, coined the term. He coined this term in 1909, New York-itis. Right, New York-itis. Now, he came up with this term to describe an illness that had symptoms including things like edginess, quick movement, um, impulsiveness. At the time, he said this. This is what he said. He said, a disease which affects a large percentage of the inhabitants of Manhattan Island. That is what he was diagnosed with. Dr. Geidner saw uh, something in people living in Manhattan in 1909 that I think resonates so, so clearly with us living here in Burke, Virginia, in the DMV today. Now, some of us, we might just call it the hustle, the grind, uh, being just busy, right? The overscheduling, however we, we define it, it's the same thing that he saw in 1909, right? Dr. Greidner was right about something then, <laughs> and it's still wrong. He could be right about it today, right? Our, our world hasn't slowed down since 1909. It probably just has sped up, even if anything. Right, we're experiencing these symptoms, the same symptoms. Things like edginess and impulsiveness because our world continues on a faster and busier schedule. Now, I recently read a, a, an article by a Dr. Susan Coven who practices internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. And, and she wrote that she's finding in her practice and in her teaching and her research that in the past few years that she's observed an epidemic, she calls it, of sorts. I mean, she, she says an epidemic of sorts. If patient after patient, she's saying, is suffering from the same condition. She says the, the symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, that's, uh, you know, gotta go to the bathroom a lot type of situation, back pain, right, weight gain, and she says the list goes on and on. And then she says there are no blood tests or x-rays to diagnose this condition, and yet she says it's easy to recognize and it's occurring at an alarming rate in her practice. And she says it's this, the condition is excessive busyness. Excessive busyness. Now, you know it as well as I do. That's the cry of our age, right? Maybe because I was hyper aware of it today, all right? But I caught myself just saying twice today, busy. How's it going, Andrew? How was your week? You know, busy. Good, but busy, right? Well, we just, we just know that that's the cry of our age. How are you? Busy. How's work? Busy. How are the kids doing? Man, their lives are so busy. I feel like I'm just a taxi driver, busy from one stop to the other stop. How was the shopping mall today? Uh, it was just a little too busy, you know, people aren't about. Right, can you, can you help me? I need some help. Can you, can you come and, and help me and support me in this? I, I'm busy at the moment. I can't help you. Right, lots of us are, are, are crying out for ways of handling uh, the busyness before it handles us. Right, it's just what we're, we're looking for in life. Right, and now if we're just honest, our, our expectations of keeping up with everything in this world, 
Everything that's changing in this world kind of adds to this sense of busyness, right? Everything is continuing to escalate courtesy of, of things like social media, right? Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, Instagram, Netflix, watching the news on a 24-7 cycle, right? We are all susceptible to, to the expectation that we always have to be available, that we always have to be available, that we always have to be aware of, of everything that is happening, right? Don't, don't you feel, ever feel like that? You just have to know what's happening in this world, whether it's it's happening across the country or down the road. We just have to know why those sirens just blew by our house or what is the next big headline on the news, whether it has to do with 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 a, a war or even just with the next Hollywood gossip or with our favorite sports teams or even our not favorite sports teams. We have to know if we're going to be capable of, of achieving anything or having a conversation with anyone. I mean, we're all there, right? Unsurprisingly, the demand to be omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent places pressure on all of us that we were never meant to carry. Right? We were never meant to carry it. Right? The, the pace that we're living at in this world, just being honest, Andre Church, Let's just be honest. It's destructive. I think we can all agree at that, that the lack of margin in our lives is a little bit debilitating. We're worn out, or worse, we could say, hey, you know, we're a little bit burnt out. And that's from maybe even some of the the kids even downstairs to the, the oldest of us here today. Right? You know that feeling when the only emotion that you seem to have left is what? No. No. Are you ever felt, I mean, we've all felt like that. You guys are shaking your heads, right? Numb. We, we've just felt numb, or we just feel numb. We just don't, we're not excited, but we're not sad. We just, there's just, we're just numb. We're just, right? You, you become cynical about everything, and you, and you don't laugh anymore. Not to mention, it doesn't seem like there's enough time for sleep in this world to make you feel better. It's that type of saying that says, you need a vacation from your vacation. It's that type of situation. We're completely out of rhythm, you could say. Right? There, there's no rhythm. Uh, Dr. Pillay, a psychiatrist and an assistant clinical professor at Harvard Medical School who studies burnout, and I was reading her stuff, she recently surveyed a random sample of 72 senior leaders, like like CEO type guys of some of the nation's big, the world's biggest companies. She, she studied 72 of these senior leaders and found that nearly all of them reported at least some signs of burnout, not just fatigue, not just being busy, but burnout. And all of them noted at least one cause of burnout was from their work. Uh, the article quoted one chief executive for a multi-billion dollar company who put it uh, this way. They said this, I just felt that no matter what I was doing, I was always getting pulled somewhere else. I, I, my life, all right? right? I, I just felt that no matter what I was doing, I was always getting pulled somewhere else. It seemed like I was always cheating someone. 
my company, my family, myself, I couldn't truly focus on anything. If you defined my life, all right, in the last few years, you could write in that, right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there as well, right? Are you there now? Is your spouse there? Is your boss there? Are your friends there? Because I think if we're honest, we would all say that during a season of our life, maybe this season of our life, where we're dealing with this burnout, with this exhaustion, whatever it is, we are feeling like there's just too much to do, and there's not a what? Not enough time to do it. And that leaves us crying out, like this series that we've been talking about. Why, God, right? How can I keep up this way of life? Right? We just we just throw up our hands and we cry out, why God? Why God? How can I keep up with this way of life? Why God am I so tired all the time? Why God are you not giving me any rest? Why God? Can I not just keep up with the hustle of life? Why God? And we start to think, man, what would it look like right, when, we, when we do this, when we shout these why gods? We kind of step back and we start to think and we start to process and we think, you know what, maybe maybe if, if I didn't live here and there wasn't so much of a hustle, it would be better. Or we shout out, why God? And we get frustrated and, and we start to think, man, maybe if I didn't have to commute in the second busiest traffic in the country, oh, my life would be better. And we think, why God? Why, God, can't can I just deal with all the hustle and the bustle and the grind? Why, God, am I so busy? And then we start to think, man, what if I didn't always have to go to a job and be expected to keep moving up that ladder? Or, or why do I always have to fight for that raise? Or keep up with the Joneses? And here's the thing. We, what we do is we start to look at that stupid thing, that stupid picture that's out there called the grass is greener on the other side. Right, there was, I had a teacher, um, I think it was Brit Lit, my junior year or senior year of high school. And this guy was like, he was from Poland. But he, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> but he had this picture in his classroom, where my desk would face. And it was like, it was of this cow with its head across the fence. Right? And, and he was eating this little patch of dusty brown grass when his grass on his side of the fence was perfectly green, right? I just, it just sticks in my head, right? And so we start to think, man, the grass is greener on the other side of social media. We, we, we see this and it's like that picture, right? Oh, their grass is greener, right? I just need to move. I just need a new job or I need my kids to join a different team or I need my kids to do this or whatever it is. But then guess what happens when we get to the other side of the fence? You move, you get the job, your, your kid joins the new team. And what happens? You still feel the same way. We do. Right? Just be honest, right? Educator and activist Parks Palmer uh, says that burnout typically does not come about because we have been given so much of ourselves that we have nothing left. I mean, we, we, we think burnout's noble, Right? Because right? I've given so much of myself, I have nothing left. And, and this guy, he, he spent his life studying burnout. He says that has nothing to do with it. He, he says this, actually. He says burnout, 
merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Right? Right? The nothingness of which I was trying to give in the first place. Because you see, it was never the location. It's never the job. It's never your schedule. It's never your kid's schedule. All along, you. I know, right? Tuck your toes in. I'm stepping on them a little bit. Right? We're the problem, right? Isn't that a meme? Right? Hey, hello, I'm the problem. Right? Right? We're the problem. We're just out of rhythm. We're out of rhythm. Right? And we're still left crying out to God again, though. How can I keep up with this way of life? Okay, I'm on a rhythm, but how can I keep up with this way of life? Church, boundary. I think if God were standing here face to face with us, if we were sitting with him knee to knee, right, listening to our general, and he was hearing us cry out these things, I think if we were looking, if he was looking at us from this spot right here, and we were sitting there looking at him, he would say one thing. He would say this, you were never meant to. You were never meant to live this way. You just... You're not meant to live out of rhythm. There's rhythm to your life. I think if God were standing here with the microphone, he would say, this is never what I wanted for you. This isn't what I want for you, my child, my son, my daughter. I believe with all my heart, he would say, this is not what you were created for. You were not created to be busy and hectic and burnt out. You were created for rhythm. Rhythm. Now, before we go much further, I have to, I have to say that I am, I am more than aware that I am probably the worst person to talk about rhythm. I just am. Just from a musical standpoint, I have no business talking to you about rhythm. Right? Everyone who is around me hears me singing. They know, right? Right. The few times that I left my microphone on and they can hear me sing in the live stream. You should see the amount of text I get from people from people watching the live stream. Andrew, your microphone's on. Turn it off. Okay. Now, all right, my, my wife, Christina, she sometimes tells me that I couldn't find rhythm of a song if it was sitting in my lap. And we when we go on long car rides and when we go on road trips, we like to play two different games as we're driving down the highway. And the first one she calls, Can Andrew match my pitch? And what she does is she sings a note, and then I try, and I try to match it. Now, 13 years of marriage, 14 years of marriage, 13 years of, I was close, 13 years of marriage, and I haven't matched the pitch yet. But she tells me that I'm getting closer. All right? And the other game that she likes to play is, can Andrew clap along to the rhythm of whatever particular song we're listening to, right? And I like this game more because I, I get to clap, but she hates it. Right? She, she keeps asking me if I can hear the bass drum, and I don't know what that means, <laughs> but, but apparently it would help me. Right? Listen, needless to say, I'm aware that when I start talking about rhythm, that I have no business talking about it when it comes to music, but with life, Foundry Church, you don't have to take my word for it. Right? In fact, I don't want you to take my word for anything. I want us to take God's word for it. Because I, I with rhythm in life, I struggle just as much as everybody. Right? And, and if, if we don't believe 
what I'm about to say, we just got to look to God's word because he tells us the same thing, right? That we weren't created for the busyness and the chaos and the grind and the hustle. We were created to live within rhythm. So let's take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning, the big beginning. Genesis chapter 1, as always, turn to it. All right, use your Bible that you bring. Take one of these Bibles, turn to it. Uh, take the Bible home if you want one to use, to have, to take. They are free for you to have, to use. Uh, those Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Just the very beginning. I'm in excellent. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and it was void. And the darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and then he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Keep your finger right there. Let's just stop for one second. Right, so, so here we have our first rhythm that was created by God. What is it? Night and day. Right, night and day. A little quick there, Tyler. You gave him the answer a little too soon. Right? <laughs> Night and day, that's the first rhythm. So, so on day one, God said there has to be rhythm to creation. There has to be an ebb and there has to be a flow to creation. There has to be a rising and the setting of the sun. Right? Something that will always happen day and night. Day and night. Like the rhythm of a drum. If I was smart, I would have had Daniel up here. Day and night, right? <laughs> day and night, right? But that's what it is, right? Day and night, day and night, like the rhythm of a drum. Now jump down to verse 14 of chapter 1, all right? Verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night, and let them be for the signs and, and for seasons and for days and years, and let them and be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God, God set them into the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And then verse 19 simply says, and there was evening. And then there was morning, the fourth day. Right? So now we, we have another rhythm, right? Now God creates the stars, including the sun, and now there is this rhythm of the calendar year and, and the seasons within that year, right? Spring, summer, fall, winter, every year, over and over again. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. I had to Ask Christina a few things with this rhythm concept that I'm going for. But one of the things I asked her was, was what is a rhythm that has four beats every measure? And she assured me that that is four-four time. Right? That, that's what four-four time is. 
And so the, the seasons are in for, for time every year. Every measure for beats. Spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter. Right, and then God creates man. And, and when Adam entered Eden, the garden, two days later, he, he steps into the march of day and night, month and year. He's in this rhythm, winter, spring, and summer, and fall. 365 days, 365 nights. And within that, there, there's this pounding rhythm of spring, summer, winter, fall, never stopping. All right, and now if you jump over to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2. Right, look at this. Genesis chapter 2, the first three verses says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God, what? He blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So and, and finally, God, our God, the God, hey, the, the God we're forging our life on, this is... We're forging our life on him. This is what he's telling us to do, right? Seven days, six days for work, one day for rest. Every week, six days for work, one day for rest over and over again. God could have made a, a rhythmless world if he wanted to. I would have done better in it, right? He, would have, he could have made a rhythmless world if he wanted to, a world without days and weeks and months and years. God could have, have created a bunch of me uh, running around in the garden not knowing what a downbeat was. Always clapping on the wrong beat or no beat at all. Like some of you when we worship. But no. No. Right? In our God's wisdom, in the God that we forge our life on, in His wisdom, He created rhythm. Rhythm. Each day can only happen because there was a night before it. Each day, one through six, serve day seven and vice versa. There could be no Saturday without the Friday before it. And like this, like each pumpkin spice latte only exists because there was an iced pink drink in the summer. Rhythm. Rhythm. Right? Rhythms make, make the world a, a good habitation for finite humans in need of rest and refreshment. And that's what I'm trying to get. Right? As creatures of dust, we are creatures of rhythm. But as with most things outside of the garden, outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of that creation, things are no longer perfect. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> things got on a rhythm. This song took a weird turn, right? If we read on the, the story of God's people, just one book over, the, the book of Exodus, we find God's people with, with no rhythms left, right? We're, we're going to blame Pharaoh here in a minute, but some of that was their own making, right? They have no rhythms left in their lives, in their grind, in their doing. The people of God have grown in number, and to control them, right, to to control them because of a little bit of fear and ego, Pharaoh has a good idea. Let's read about his good idea in Exodus chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. So 
Genesis, Exodus, the very next book of the Bible, the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, has seen all these Israelites grow in number, grow in power, and he's like, I gotta do something. So in verse 13, he does this. He says, So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So what does Pharaoh do? Simple, right? He put them to work. Every day, he, he takes them out of their rhythm. They don't have rhythm anymore. So every day, Pharaoh exhibits a single-minded madness for labor and production. When Israel grows mighty, he sets them to work. When Moses tells him to let the people go, he makes their work even harder. And he can think about, all he can think about is getting work out of these people because that will keep them weak. It will keep them out of rhythm. It will keep them weak. Right? The Pharaoh, right, to him, a slave's 80-year life, not to be generous, 80-year life was merely a sequence of 29,200 work days inconveniently disrupted by the need of a few hours of sleep. Right? So, so the, the modern West has no singular equivalent of Egypt's restless king and his ruthlessness to the Israelites, the cultural air that we breathe carries with it the scent, the stink of Pharaoh's single-minded need to be busy. It's just us, right? Right? Did you know that the average work hours in America exceed that of many other countries? That's a whole different conversation. And since COVID and the advent of working from home, we no longer need to go to the office to make our bricks. We just need Wi-Fi so we can work all the time. We're always on. And even in our off time, regularly falls prey to what Andrew Lincoln calls this. He says, the, the hectic round of activities showing that leisure itself is caught on the treadmill of working and consuming. Working. And consume it's, it's, it's a rhythm, but it's a wrong rhythm, right? You know, you we all know what I'm talking about, right? The busy evenings filled with so much stuff. There's practice for music, sports, and every other activity, extra work that we have, followed by uh, a WWE Royal match to get the kid to do homework, and somewhere in there you have to eat. Right, have you seen this this GIF lately? All right. Everyone has practice, so we can either have dinner at 4.30 or 9.50. I vote 4.30. Sometimes we do that. I go to bed at like 7. Right. This is what we are living in. This is what we're living in, right? We are a slave to work, a slave to busy, a slave to no rhythm. And I'm not saying... We got like, woo, be lazy. No, we're going to talk about that in a second, right? We're a slave to no rhythm, right? But this is, this is not the way that God created us to live like, 
And this is not what God created the Israelites to live like. Turn with me to Exodus chapter chapter 12. So the same book, chapter 12. I know we're all over today. Chapter 12. Turn there. Right, Pharaoh has still not let his uh, let God's people go. He hasn't let the Israelites go. And so God has a final plan to get his people out of Egypt. So read with me. The first, the first three verses says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Right? And then, then jump down to verse 7. It says, Then they shall take some of the blood of that lamb and put it on the two doorposts and the, the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now jump down to verse 12. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, right? Which when we get Passover, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 says, The day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. All right, so, so let's just zoom back out. How does God, how does God start out his plan to save the Israelites? What does he do? We miss this when we read it too quick. He reorders the calendar. Right? He reorders the calendar. He says, here's the calendar, right? Christina hates me because I probably have like 20 calendars. Right? I got a calendar for everything. Right? Right? So, so he reorders the calendar. He says, this month will be the beginning of months for you. Right? I'm going to, we're starting fresh. Right? This is where, where the, the beat starts again. This is where Daniel gets on the drum. Right, this is where I bring back the rhythm. Right, the, the drumbeat of endless workdays gives way to the rhythm of a new calendar, new seasons, and a new remembrance, a, a new order of life and work and rest. Right, just a few chapters over, God reinstitutes the day of rest. In Exodus 16, verse 23, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded tomorrow. Is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Here's the month. Here's the week. Pharaoh and, and this world know only one thing you shall work, but God knows how to say you shall not work and still be more productive. In fact, he says it a lot over a dozen times. He tells his redeemed people, you shall not do any work. Think about that, yeah. So, so how do we go about reclaiming this rhythm of our life? How do we get out of Egypt? Because we're in Egypt right now. Right, that, that quote at the beginning, I mean, that's my life right now, right? How do we get back into this garden 
of Eden as God's creation. His sons and his daughters. Well, as Christina likes to tell me, you have to listen for that bass drum. Right? You need to find the root of true rhythm. Is that a downbeat? Sure. So turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll find here rhythm. This is, this is different. And this was brought to my attention if you were at our, uh, one of our last Iron Councils when Tim Cole was with us, sharing with us. Uh, he taught us this. He taught us this. All right, so turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. Both 1 and 2 Corinthians are letters that were written by the Apostle Paul to the church in, you guessed it, the city of Corinth. And where we're turning today is at the end of his first letter. The header of the section in your Bible, it may say something like final instructions. Right? This is the end of his letter where Paul is trying to put in everything he hasn't said yet. Right? You, know, you write a letter, an email, here's everything I haven't said yet. Just kind of puts it out there. It's sort of like when you write a text or an email and the last paragraph is full of one sentence. It's like one big long sentence of reminders to not forget something. So 1 Corinthians 16 is where we're going to be. Let me turn there as well. All right. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 16. It says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints to be subject, right, be subject to such as these and to follow and to every fellow worker and laborer. All right, so here's the thing. All right, we read this. I think most of us, when we read this, we probably read over that quickly and we think, all right, good for you, Stephanus. Way to go, my man. Good for you, Steph. You made it. You made it into the big book. Good job. It's the only time you're mentioned. Good job. Cool, Stephanus. You're famous. You made it. All right, moving on. And we move on. Right? When we're, we're even so busy when we read God's word to us that we really miss important things. But, but I want you to underline in your Bible that word, it probably says devoted, like mine. Right now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts, and that they devoted themselves. Underline that word devoted. All right, underline it. All right, in your Bible, because that is a terrible, actually, translation. All right, now, all right, it, it's more than just devoted. All right, it, it's more than just devoted. Right, the the of all the translations, to not shock anyone, the King James actually gets it the closest, right? Right, which they don't normally do. Um, right, they actually get it the closest when they they say addicted to, right? They say addicted. It's a stuff on addicted himself, and that's not even really a, that good of a translation. I want you to underline it because. Because it's so poor, right? Mostly because we don't really have a word for it in our English language. The Greek word here is atetsa, which comes from the root word tasso, right? T-A-S-S-O, right? 
Tasso. Now, now stick with me here because this is really good. Right? Tasso is an old word that was primarily used as a military term, meaning to draw up, to order, uh, to arrange in a place, to assign, to appoint, to order, and to reorder over and over, like infinity. Right? And so it's essentially when you are watching one of those military movies and they yell, fall in! That's what this should be translated as, right? Fall in, reorder, right? You're off there lollygagging on the yard. Fall in, right? Get, get in order because we're going into a battle and we're going to really have to order ourselves. So we need, we need our, 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 what is that? We need our parade. We need our structure before we, we set the flanks, before we set the movement and reorder ourselves. We got to reorder. We got to fall in, order ourselves so that we can reorder ourselves. Does that make sense? It's an ongoing thing. Maybe you're you're in the military now and they yell that at you. Fall in. Right? And then they tell you where to go next. That's what we're talking about. It is is when everything gets put place puts place in a right order, in the right uh, system of things. It's when everything is out of place, out of whack, you got guys still in the barracks, right? Out of rhythm and everything gets made right Again, that's the word. So if we rewrite this, this verse, right? Look at us, right? Bible translators here, right? It might sound something like this. It says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Ikea and that they have reordered, they have reordered their lives around service to the church. Be like that. Right, Paul is saying, like God did to the Israelites, you want to restart your calendar, you want to find the rest of God, it starts here in doing the work of the Lord. Right, in, in Egypt, right, it was killing the unblemished lamb. Here in this moment, it is reordering your life around Christ in service to his kingdom. Now look, we can't forget that when we... Go down into those waters of baptism. We proclaim that Jesus is my Lord, that he is my Savior, that I'm going to forge my life on him. We are living a new life. Gone is the old. Gone is the, the old way of doing things. And we step into a new way of doing things, into a new life. And that's what it is. We're reordering. And we're going to continue to reorder. Right? The household of Stephanus were the first to take the step to devote their lives to Jesus. And they didn't just go down in the waters of baptism and come up and then go back to work as usual. Right? No, they reordered their life around service to others. Around being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus who makes new followers of Jesus. And that's what they did. They reordered their lives. Before God gave Israel the, the fourth commandment, he gave them the first. Right? Before he said, hey, keep the Sabbath holy. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And we get on a rhythm. We get on a rhythm when we make things of this world. Good things. Good things. Family. Vows, whatever, right? Good things, gods. 
man, we get on order quick. Right? Right? Trust rhythm is what we're learning. Trust, trust rest. And it all depends on two things. It, it depends on this. It, it depends on remember our Redeemer. We're a new creation because of what Jesus has done for us. We live a new way, so we remember our Redeemer, and then we do whatever it takes to make Him known through service to the kingdom. Because when we follow after Christ, He says, I have a purpose for you. I have a mission for you. I have a task for you. No matter where you are, right? no matter what you do, you are a disciple of mine, and disciples make disciples. You love Jesus and you love like him. And no matter what you do, whether you're driving your kids to school, whether you're going to the office in the city, whether you're putting on the uniform, whether you're at home cooking dinner, whether you don't have time to cook dinner, you're running through the drive-thru, you're still a disciple who makes disciples, and that is your number one priority. And so we reorder our lives. It's not about the hustle and the grind. It's about giving all that we have to Jesus. Like I said, it's not it's not a lazy thing, right? It's not, hey, take some rest, slow down, don't work, you know, sit on the couch, have Cheeto stains on your shirt, right? You know, work the thumb, watch, watch you know, click the remote. Not that. It's doing things, grinding, it's hustling in the right way, for the right thing, right? You see, God knew back then, and when, when he was giving these, these commands to Israel, that Israel, really what they needed was rest. If they were really to get their, their rhythm back in Sabbath, in rest, and not just have a day off, that's not what Sabbath is. It's not just a day off, right? They need to worship their Redeemer and serve him. Right, so many of us, we find ourselves overbooked. We look at our calendars, and the first thing that we think to cut is, is loving like Jesus. Right, we cut church. We cut ministry opportunity. We cut, oh, I can't. I can't go to lunch with the crew. Right, even though I'm really trying hard to, to find an opportunity to pray for Jimmy, I, I just can't I, can't, I don't have time to go to lunch with Jimmy anymore, right, at work. Like, I just don't have time. I'm going to work through lunch because I don't have time. You're shutting the door on that opportunity. See, it's, it's reordering, right? We, we, the first thing that we cut is loving Jesus and loving like Jesus. Well, my work schedule is crazy right now. I can't volunteer with the, the youth group. My, my kid's sports schedule is so crazy right now. We'll just have to skip church for, for a few months and take ourselves out of that game, right? Sunday is the only day that I really have to sleep in. I, I think God will understand how tired I am. The church, we, we, we've got it all wrong, right? The first thing to go when we are searching to find rhythm should never be Jesus or his church. Because he's the creator of rhythm. You can't have rhythm without him, right? And this is, this is the place where you find rest, because you're learning to do the work, not the absence of the work. You're doing to do the right work. Right? You're learning to step into your tasks 
in, in, in our families the right way. This is the place where we step up to the table, where we learn from each other, where we encourage one another, where we pray for one another, right? Where we confess one another, right? And just using that scripture from James as an example. In James it says we, we, we are forgiven when we confess to God. I've messed up. I pray to God. I confess to God. We are healed. We are healed when I confess to another man. can't do that if I'm just going to be like, too busy. Yeah, I get the grace. Right? Does that make sense, right? Are we tracking, right? We got it all wrong. Right? This, this is where serving doesn't feel like work. It feels like sitting with your family around the table after Thanksgiving dinner and you're just cutting up with friends. Right? It's the, it's the good work that leaves you feeling full and hopeful and ready to face the day. And as I was writing this, I kept picturing Theo. Um, Theo Whitney, Daniel, you weren't there last Sunday, but we were at the, the festival and he had like a box of ribs from the food truck at the festival. And like, he had all these tickets that his mom bought him, but he didn't want to go ride rides or play games. He was just sitting there in his little chair, sucking on that rib bone, truly resting, right? Cutting up with, uh, with, with, uh, Danny and, uh, the two Dannys, the, Hernandez and Waters and just sucking on that bone, having fun, right? That's sad. Right? He was learning from brothers that are older than him on how to have friendship. He was watching women, Kirsten, interact with the community, serve, right? And that's it's what I pictured, right? And if I were Paul, and if I were writing the book, the book of First Corinthians to our church here in Burke, so I guess I, we would call it First Burkonians. <laughs> I don't know what we're called. I, I think verse sixteen would sound something like this: "It says, now I, go ahead and put. I, now I urge you, brothers, right? You, you, this is another example I was thinking of. You, you know, the household of Danny and Terry Waters were." the first family to join us from the great land of California. And then they have reordered their lives around service to the church. Be like them. Right? It's also who I picture, right? Danny and Terry, right? Danny, who stays up, he works nights, he has weird working hours. Comes to church with no sleep. I'm not saying stay up all night and like pray. I don't do that. But they've reordered their life in service of not just of doing and being busy, but of love and service of each other, of family. Right? Right? Sometimes we literally have to make them take a Sunday just to worship. Right? Right? Every aspect of their life centers around their faith and their service to this local outpost of the kingdom of God because they are a disciple of Jesus who knows and understands that a disciple makes disciples. And so they got to serve. So I urge you, be like Danny and Terry and Theo. That was first for Conan. As the band comes up, you know, there's a, there's this awesome scripture. I have to work, I'm, I'm terrible. At rhythm, I will sit and I will write and I will work and I just I won't look up 
I won't call Christina. I just, right? I'll do too much. I'll say yes to too much, which takes away from what I'm supposed to be doing and what God has called me to do. And I sabotage myself. Right? That's what we do, right? We, we get ourselves on a rhythm. And, 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 you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about mental health. And I think this is one of the big things about it. We get on a rhythm. That's a part of why we deal with anxiety and depression and mental health. And, and it is for me. And there's a book out here. I think Mackenzie posted it on social media a couple weeks ago. It's called The Unhindered Life. And it's written by my, my psychiatrist that I see on the reg, right? She's down in Florida. She's a wonderful, wonderful doctor, wonderful person. But she's simply, she, you know, she has all her stuff and some of it's whatever. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. But there's one scripture she always points me to. Right, and it's it's in Matthew where it says, uh, "Where I have I, I you know where where I urge you to find the unhurried rhythms of grace." Think about that. Jesus is saying the unhurried rhythm of grace. True. I gotta remind myself of that on the red, like not weekly, daily. The right rhythm. Am I loving Jesus? And am I loving like Jesus? And am I doing what he's called me to do? Not what I think I need to do. Not what I think I want to do. Just deep down, he's the Lord of my life. He's the God, if I'm serious about saying he's the God that I forged my life on, those unhurried, what a word, rhythms of grace are going to be exactly what I need to do. And that word grace means when I mess it up, which I do hourly, it's going to pull me back in. He's going to reorder my calendar like he did with the Israelites, like he's highlighting here with Stephanus, and I love it. And we have. Everyone's like, no. He brings us back in. That's the grace of it. That's the hope of it. We live in an area that is just grind, grind, grind. But listen, I'm not calling us lazy. Right? I mean, we wouldn't like each other if we were just lazy a lot. Let's go work hard. That unhurried rhythm of grace means we're focused on His kingdom because we're created by Him who's the creator of rhythm, first and foremost. You know, it's like when I, when I coached football, high school football, those kids were, they were cool. They were excited. They were tough kids. They were also dumber than a bag of rocks. Right? And, and they were like, I'm, I'm hurt, right? You know, like their wrist is pointed the wrong way. And this kid wants to stay in. Like, no, come out. Like, you're not doing anyone any favors. You can't play to your optimal best. Like, even if you're just tired, take a, take a breather. Let your teammate, your brother step in as you recharge. And then get back in there and take rounds. Right? That's what 
That's what we're talking about. Well, that's the unheard rhythms of grace. It's being who we were created to be first and foremost. By our creator. Let's stand and let's worship him this morning.